Futures Americas. Um, my name is Barnes from we chairing this event today. Um, of course, very pleased to have four excellent speakers that are going to talk us through uh, their perspectives on the uh, on Sunday's elections and what it may mean for Argentina, both thinking backwards and crucially looking forwards. We're going to start with Ezequiel uh, Gonzalez Cantos, who's at Catholic <coughs> College, uh, Oxford. Uh, Ezequiel is going to talk to us about uh, how he sees the um, election results uh, in the context of Argentine democracy, looking backwards, uh, and also what the Cambiemos electoral coalition um, may mean for well, the, the electoral results this um, Sunday. Um, uh, I think it's going to follow uh, by Francisco Panizza, President of Government at LC. Uh, Francisco is going to talk about the election, the context, and the regional context of uh, Latin America. Uh, Ezequiel is going to follow by Enrique Margaritis, who's a uh, professor of international relations at Southampton University, and is going to look at the, the external dimension and the foreign policy implications of the election. And finally, but of course not least, uh, Dr. Jill Hedges from Oxford Analytica, uh, is going to look forward uh, towards 2019. Um, and before I hand over to Ezequiel to kick us off. Just a, a reminder for those of you who don't know, obviously no one really here, but let's see. Next Thursday, yeah? yeah. Thursday, 2nd of November, um, here at the yes. Institute of the Americas. Um, uh, Jill, as far as you know, yes, we haven't changed that, right? Um, Jill is going to uh, launch a, a, a new book on, on Evita, uh, and and uh, going to look at women's suffrage in, in, in Argentina um, and, and beyond, I think, as well, right? So that's uh, 2nd November here at the Institute at 5.30, normal uh, seminar time. So I got that right. So without any ado, um, let's take it. Thanks, Bar. Thanks for the invitation. Thank you all for, for coming. Um, okay, so just I'm going to give you a few figures to put the election in context and, and sort of um, for those of you who haven't followed the news uh, closely. So Cambiemos, the president's electoral coalition, won around 42% of the, of the national vote. It won in 13 of the 24 provinces, and including the five big ones where most of the electorate lives. Um, this means that the government now will have around 110 deputies, uh, depending on how you count, and um, up from 86 uh, that it currently has. And uh, it will have now 25 senators, or 24, depending on how you count, up from 15. Uh, Peronism no longer, will no longer control two-thirds of the chamber. Um, and if the Peronist bloc splits between Kirchneristas and, Kirchneristas and anti-Kirchneristas, then Cambiemos will be the largest bloc in, in the Senate. Uh, and that is quite, quite remarkable. But the government will still be a minority government, and that's an important um, caveat. So the first thing I want to talk about briefly is uh, what is new and what is not new about the results of the legislative elections. Um, in many ways, I think what happened on Sunday is, is in line with very well-established patterns of, of, of political competition in, in Argentine electoral politics. If you look at the electoral map, the Peronists won, where Peronists normally win, and uh, the non-Peronists won, where non-Peronists normally win. Uh, on average, so to speak. And the overall distribution of the vote looks a lot like a blast from the past in many ways, right? So more specifically, a blast from, from the 1980s. And this is because I think for the first time, 
since uh, the 1980s, uh, the non-permanent camp is actually unified. Um, and it competes under the same umbrella with the same brand almost everywhere in the, in the country, uh, actually in the majority of, of the province. So the results in many ways replicate uh, the radical performance of the mid-1980s when Alfonsín was, was president. Um, so what we see in many ways in Argentina is a, like a recomposition of the, of the party system following the decline of the radical party and the fragmentation of the non parents camp in the 1990s and obviously its collapse in the, after 2001. And we now, I think, have a much more balanced and, and competitive party system than we, than we did two or three years ago. Now, a lot has been written about how party systems in Latin America have collapsed or declined or disintegrated and so on and so forth. Argentina, or what's happened, what's happened in Argentina over the last two years, I think, um, shows a different sort of dynamic. I think Argentina has experimented something quite different from this. Uh, we are seeing a reconstruction of old patterns in, in, in the party system. It's obviously not the same party system. It has changed uh, in important ways, but I think structurally it is quite similar. Um, there hasn't been, at least I don't see it, a massive electoral realignment. People more or less vote along, along the same cleavages. But of course, there's lots of things that have changed and, and some important changes. The first one is that Cambiemos, unlike the Radical Party, is a coalition, not, not a party. And it is not, obviously, the first coalition of its kind in Argentina. It's not even the first coalition that wins the presidency in Argentina, but it is the first one, at least since 83, that has not disintegrated while in office. And this is quite remarkable, I think. Um, moreover, it's a coalition that has a clear uh, structure with each partner performing a very clear role. Uh, it has a centralized command structure where decisions are taken. Um, and it has, and I, this is quite important, it has rather peacefully resolved how to compete in these legislative elections. Um, with the exception of two provinces, it has it competes. It presented a unified front almost everywhere. So if there were <coughs> disagreements and 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 bitterness, we didn't uh, see them, at least not in, in the media. Now we still know quite very little about how this coalition works. So if you're planning a dissertation, this could be a dissertation topic. Um, we don't know how leaders reach decisions in this coalition, how disagreements are processed internally. Um, we need certainly more comparative research. Um, to understand how different or similar Cambiemos is from, from other coalitional governments in, in Latin America. For example, it's quite different from, the, from Brazil's coalitional presidentialism in that um, Cambiemos is an electoral coalition that competes uh, together across the country, but also the main currency of power in this coalition are not cabinet seats, like in Brazil, where you give cabinet seats to, the, to your coalitional allies to guarantee their legislative support. That's not how Cambiemos works. Um, it's also a different, I think, from the Chilean concertación of the 1990s and, and the 2000s in that there are enormous power differentials between the members of the coalition. Uh, there's a clear junior coalition partner and a senior coalition partner. Um, so that's one thing that's new about what happened. The other thing that's new about what happened, I think, is uh, are the high levels of polarization that, that characterize the election. Uh, if you look at the literature on Argentine politics, since 1983, there have been very clear and very strong government opposition dynamics, both in the way parties behave in the legislature, but also in the way the electorate behaves. But I think that the type of polarization that we see now is, is of a different kind. And, and in many ways, and this is a hypothesis, I'm not sure this is true, um, this is the only dimension, I think, in which Argentine politics or the electoral dynamics of, of Argentina in recent years resemble electoral cycles in other parts of the world, in Europe or in the US. We live in an age of increasing polarization. 
in, in which we all live in rather hermet hermetic and, and fragmented sort of media environments in which we basically persuade ourselves of our own, own beliefs. And I'm not sure what the cause of this is, social media, big data campaigning, and, and in which, which allow you to segment your message to the electorate and so on and so forth. But in the Argentine case, whatever the causes of this polarization are, and whether or not it shares the same causes as polarization in other parts of the world, I think this polarization has reinforced and is reinforced, I think, by the reorganization of the party system that I was referring to at the, at the beginning. Uh, because not surprisingly, the reorganizing principle of the party system is the Peronist, anti-Peronist cleavage, right? And that is the main fault line uh, that is being strongly activated by political elites on both sides. Uh, and I think has allowed for the reconstruction of a unified, competitive, stable, and uh, uh, um, an electorally competitive non-Peronist um, coalition. Now, some degree of, of polarization is good for democracy because it uh, forges identities, it allows parties to you know, get rooted in society, <coughs> it reduces information costs for the voters, it uh, simplifies political representation more generally, um, and in many ways can make these political systems um, um, survive important crises because they can, they can buffer shocks of all kinds. But of course, too much polarization is, is a problem and is inimical and incompatible with, with democracy because democracy requires moderation. Um, if you see your adversary as an existential threat, that's of course a problem for democracy. I don't think Argentina is there yet, but I think we should keep an eye. Um, now this point I, about polarization leads me to a third question, which is why did Cambiemos win? And the first reason, I think, is polarization. I think um, because polarization allowed this government to maintain a very strong core constituency during very hard times. If you look at the first 15 months of the administration, the government had little to offer to the electorate, uh, to its own electorate, besides the reaffirmation of an anti-Kirchnerist identity, so to speak. Um, and so, so, of course, the coalitional brand is much more than a negative identity, but it is uh, that negative aspect of its identity that allowed it to survive when it had very little good news to, to deliver. The second reason I think Cambiemos won is um, that I think the government understood what the mandate was. If you look at opinion polls in, in Argentina, they show an overwhelming support for statist, interventionist, and uh, protectionist policies. And it's just overwhelming, right? So and no government can really challenge that conventional wisdom without risking political catastrophe. Um, and so the so-called gradualism of the government's economic program was very much in line with the preferences of the electorate. Uh, it, it was born out of political necessity, and, and I think it worked quite, quite well to its advantage. And the final reason, there's probably others, I think this, this gradualism began to show some results uh, yeah, for just in time, right, for the election. If you look at the economic growth statistics, 2017 is the year with the highest rate of economic growth since 2011, uh, and as a result, most macroeconomic indicators are, quite, are showing more or less modest signs of, of recovery. So, you know, <coughs> from what we know about economic voting and political science, under conditions such as these, it's very unlikely that incumbents will lose, right, anywhere in the world, not just in, in Argentina. So in many ways, a bad electoral result would have been public, given, given these macroeconomic indicators, because what matters is not obviously absolute well-being, but relative to the past, right? Uh, and so, so in many ways, that's... I think that, that explains a big part of why, why Cambiemos won. Um, and the final point I want to talk about is, well, what's next both for the government and, and the opposition? 
Let me begin with Peronism. I think of, as, as we all know, Peronism after yes, after Sunday is in, in some trouble. It is deeply divided, and the election did not deliver a clear leader that could sort of reunify the party. But more importantly, each faction has enough veto power to veto the other faction, right? So no one can, can really become the new center of gravity of the, of the party. And you will see, I think, in the next few months that the Senate bloc will split and will reflect this division in, in Peronism. And so most Peronist governors will try to shield their territories um, because Cambiemos has shown that it can be quite competitive even in the most unlikely places. So they will be very worried about their own local electoral prospects. Now, how they will react to this threat depends on how threatening Cambiemos is in each of these provinces. Uh, so, for example, in some cases, the Peronist governors will try to shield uh, their territory by courting the government or by negotiating with the government so that they don't alienate Macri supporters in their provinces. Uh, this will be a good strategy, for example, to secure resources that they, they can then use to secure their own local electoral ambitions because national political aspirations are not very credible at the moment. Um, and in other cases where Cambiemos is more threatening, I think the, gov the governors will try to polarize a bit more because they need to make sure that Cambiemos doesn't really make more further inroads into their territories. But overall, I think, uh, what I would expect is, is a very sort of amicable relationship with the Peronist governors, like the government has had for the, last, for the last two years. So the government, I think, will be able to pass the things it needs to pass in, in Congress. More interesting, I think, is what's going to happen with the governing coalition. Um, and I think there's three conceivable models for the future of this coalition. And you can look at these models in the way Cambiemos works in different provinces. So the models are already there in, the, in, in Cambiemos' own subnational politics. Uh, for example, Cambiemos could follow the model of Jujuy or, La, or the province of La, of La Rioja, where the radicals are the dominant partner in the coalition. This, of course, at the national level is highly, highly unlikely. The second alternative would be that Cambiemos could become a more equal arrangement between the two main partners of the coalition, like it's happening in the province of Santa Fe, where there's a balance of power between these two brands, or these two partners. Or there's a third option, which is that they could continue, the, co the coalition could continue being dominated by, by Pro, by Macri, as it happens, for example, in, in the city of Buenos Aires. Now, this last model is sort of risky for the coalition, because as we saw in the city of Buenos Aires, um, it's the only place where the coalition split and competed separately in this election. So uh, an important faction of the radical party supported another candidate. Um, so if the Macrista faction becomes too dominant, it could generate some incentives for uh, the national leadership of the radical party to think twice before uh, supporting the government. But I think this is quite unlikely as well, uh, because I think the radical party, the leadership of the radical party understands that... Um, it needs to focus on its own subnational ambitions rather than its national ambitions. Um, because I think it's aware that the only, its influence and weight in that coalition is proportional <coughs> to its ability to deliver subnational results. For example, uh, by increasing its representation in Congress, by winning mayoralties or governorships, um, rather than by confronting with the president, um, even if that means that they will have a marginal role in the cabinet, for instance. Um, and I think that they know that, for example, if they win in two years the governorship of Santa Fe, which is very likely, and it could be a radical leading that ticket and winning, then the radical party, because of its own bottom-up reconstruction, could, could play a much more prominent role in, in the coalition. Um, so in terms of what the future looks like for this coalition, in the short run, I think it's going to be more like uh, option two, the option three, that is to say a, a dominant Macri, as it's been until now. 
Uh, but in the medium run, perhaps, depending on how subnational politics plays out, we could see a much more balanced uh, coalitional arrangement. Thank you. I'm supposed to talk about the regional implications. Um, uh, my first reflection is that don't read too much in terms because it is this, after all, is a partial legislative election. And in Latin America, what is still important are presidential elections. But it's important, it's relevant in, in, in the things it points out. And basically, it confirms a, a trend of a change of the guard in the region, uh, which has also political and economic reasons, some quite evident. But the, these political and economic reasons are aligned, but analytically different. Um, a way of looking how, 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 how this play, uh, I think we can look at, at, at the previous wave of change in Latin America associated with the so-called pink tide. Uh, the pink tide uh, came to offer two offices, most of them in the early 2000s, uh, on the back of half a decade of very low uh, economic growth, basically stagnation, and falling living standards in the region. Now, this presents a, a basic question in, in terms of why the pink tide came to offer. And they have two reasons. First, one, uh, backlash against neoliberalism and support for this more or less radical left of center government, sort of ideological reasons, basically. Uh, and, and the other is something that, again, uh, uh, is pretty obvious in any electoral studies that, um, as you said, when times are hard, governments tend to lose elections. When times are good, governments lose elections. It happened that when, when the times were hard in Latin America in the early 2000, most of the governments were of center and center right, and then you, you have this left and left of center governments in the region. Many people, and I'm partially guilty about that, get all excited about this turn to the left in Latin America. Well, maybe the, the main explanation was the people were just voting for the opposition that happened with to the left against government that have not <coughs> delivered in their promises. So, the, 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 and then we have another 10 years of, or 12 years of economic stability and political stability. Again, when times are good, governments tend to win elections. And times were really good between 2010 and 2013, 14 in Latin America. And these governments, some cases were the left, but not populist, and others were left populist, and others they were neither left nor populist, and they all tend to, to win. Uh, we are all, now we all try to put on this cycle as all these were populist governments, and we have a populist backlash. The, 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 the reality is much more mixed in terms of, of what these governments were. So what, what is extraordinary, this of course is largely explained for a very good cycle of economic growth, is how long this governments of parties remain in office, winning in elections that were basic, let's let take Venezuela as outlier in this discussion, in elections that were free, freer, and more or less competitive. I think Latin American democracy have many, many problems, but elections tend to work quite well, tend to work quite well. And you, it's, it's quite extraordinary in terms of the com competitive election government get two, three, four elections like they won in Ecuador, Bolivia, Uruguay, neither populist nor a little bit left, Brazil, etc., and Argentina. And, 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 and then, again, uh, perhaps the best tweet I, I, I read about the, the 
the elections in, in Argentina, this result was from, according to said, well, 15 years Kirchnerismo were too much. And you can say that of, of all the government that, that have been in office now. And so now we have, since 2011, 12, 12, another three or four years of pretty mediocre economic growth or negative economic growth. And again, you have the obvious consequences of the government begin to lose elections and have been uh, losing elections in Latin America, etc. And I see the question here, and it's quite paradoxical what you said about polarization, but I agree with what the polarization is, to again to overemphasize the ideological things in, 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 in these elections uh, in terms of a shift to the right, a shift to the center right. Of course, the government tends to be center right, but again, as in 2001, 2002, the question is that the majority government were there, are more or less of the left, and these were the governments that, that, that were in, in the, the parties that were in opposition there. So uh, that means, if you want to, 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 to look uh, forward, is yes, it's certainly a change of the guard in terms of the government that have been in office for 10, 15 years in, or in, in Latin America. But again, the danger is to buy the grand narrative of, uh, the, 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 of the left that this is a return of neoliberalism or the grand narrative of the right that is a defeat of populism. I think it's neither of the two, really. Uh, and I, I think what this change of the guard at the moment is, and this is the, 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 the paradox that, that you, you, you mentioned in terms of, and I agree, an election as it was deeply polarized, but the, not so much, but the government, uh, Macri and the other guys who are similar characters in Latin America, Piñera in Chile, PPK in, 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 in Peru, and a few other, they are not ideologues. They present themselves definitely as no, non-ideological. So it's not a sort of anti-left crusade. Uh, they are uh, presented as a pragmatic, managerial, moderate center-right government with a promise or more or less painless and in unavoidable adjust adjustment and a more market-friendly economic model. So the problem here, as I said, is yes, there is polarization in Argentina. Of course, in Brazil, there is polarization in many other countries, not in all countries, but in many other countries. What at the same time, we have a strategy of de-ideologization of, 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 of politics, a much more are, are, are the, the, the promise of better life, really, for the people, and perhaps this reflects some of the changes of the of of of, of the 2000s. That it, it was not, I would argue, another lost decade, but in many ways a waste decade for Latin America. But there were important changes as society became more poor, uh, sorry, less poor, uh, more consumerist, more individualist, and this, in, in fact, what what you have there, I would think, is this new sort of uh, attempt to have. Uh, a more managerial, more sort of de-ideological uh, uh, government that uh, uh, somebody said they, they, they changed in Argentina, el relato por la comunicación y, y, y la gestión. Uh -huh. uh, whether this will work or not in the region is, is I think, in the, <coughs> next, in the next year we have uh, eight elections in Latin America until the end of 2018. You can see very easily like-minded, pragmatic, uh, Modern center right uh, winning in Chile, very likely. Mexico, Brazil is a great interrogation mark. Colombia, etc. The implication for a policy, yes, certainly more 
market-friendly uh, policy, but with great reservation, like, as you were saying, Argentina is a statist and protectionist. Brazil, whoever wins, is again statist and protectionist. Other countries are more free market, obviously, Chile, Peru, etc. So there is no, the fact that they are all sort of managerial doesn't mean that they will follow exactly the same policy or Latin America will become overnight a great free trade area. I don't think it's, it's going to happen, etc. So uh, watch this space because we have big changes in Latin America. You've seen on the whole that will confirm this new generation of, of, of political leaders, the, the, the mini Macrons, as they want to, they, yeah. they, they want to call it. What did, will this work in Latin America? Will this a return of populism? Uh, I, I'm not sure, and I think there are a big question mark about whether they will be able to deliver, uh, whether populism is gone for Latin America forever. I never bet against populism in no, Latin America. And uh, what will happen if they, they will have to deliver the result. If not, they will be out of office in two, three, four years. Thanks. Um, I'm going to um, focus on the discussion on foreign policy as we agree on the division of labor. Uh, and I'm glad that uh, my colleagues gave you the, the context on this. Um, first, it's, uh, first point is a fact, simply. Um, next December, on the first, uh, Argentina is going to take over the presidency of uh, G20 for a year. And uh, late in next year, it will host a summit of the International Trade Organization. And the Macri administration is uh, arguing that this role is an acknowledgement to the change the country is undergoing, and that playing that role translates not only in higher international visibility for the country, but also in benefits for the population uh, in terms, at least, of stability and governance. So I use this example to make the first point to clarify that foreign policy might not be at the top of the consideration of voters when they cast a vote, but it certainly contributes to construct a narrative uh, about the identity of a coalition in power uh, and to suggest a path uh, for the future, a projection of national interests, strategies in a certain direction that seeks indirectly social support. And I was saying they gave me the context because precisely they mentioned that Pro came to power uh, with a proposal of change, clearly, and its own name, and that narrative was crucial to, uh, to build that coalition, and it needed to differentiate from <coughs> its predecessor. Build it. it needed to build an identity, but also to expand the base of support. So that for the last two years, it has been doing that, and uh, that proposal of change in foreign policy translated in a clear contrast with the previous administration. Two terms were used. Volver al mundo, rejoining the international community, and uh, desideologizar, that doesn't have a clear <laughs> translation, but it says adopting the pragmatic approach that Francisco was, was mentioning in foreign policy. And in terms of relations with the rest of the world, then openness, Going back to some historical principles, roles, and, and, um, and goals Argentina had in the past, and using, and here the, ad, the adjectives are the ones that you, you will see in the discourse, is using an intelligent and mature position in world affairs. 
in order to reestablish the confidence of the rest of the world in the country and um, supposedly because it was lost during the previous decade. So that is the kind of narrative and I just want to, uh, to present some comments on how much of this has really happened in the last two years. Of course, with the caveat that was done here, two years is almost nothing to, um, to build an identity, perhaps, in, and to uh, produce such a significant change. But in any case, I'm going to select a few issues, a few partnerships, the most crucial, and perhaps the ones that will continue on the agenda, I would expect um, for the for the next of the term, they may have an impact in in re-election plans too. <coughs> First, it was the relationship with the U.S. Obvious uh, main power in the region, and in this case, was mending relations with the U.S. because they were in a uh, in a very poor state uh, when the uh, Macri took over. And the good rapport was re-established, indeed, with the Obama administration first, at the presidential level, I'm going to come back to this point, and it continues under Trump. Um, the, to the extent that the government in the US, in, by that I mean different offices, not just the presidency, has <coughs> welcomed the new orientation in Argentina. We could discuss the details of the last state visits or the last agreement on the lemons or so, but anyway, the, the point is even in Congress, recently uh, a new group was created to strengthen the, the relations um, and the entire policy orientation of Macri's government is welcome in Washington. So if you want a short answer in this point, then yes, significant change in that uh, relationship. Second, it was the attempt to diversify, expand, redefine some partnerships. And that in the framework of pragmatism uh, means especially economic openness to increase trade uh, and investments. This is the, the main goal underlying this strategy of diversification. Uh, it's an integration with the rest of the world with the world political economy uh, that Macri is pursuing and therefore he was in favor of uh, reviving Mercosur first, then pursuing trade agreements with the EU to encourage that. Um, this government also submitted a request to be incorporated to the Alliance of the Pacific and this was uh, finally accepted. Uh, Argentina is now an observer since uh, June last year. Um, he attempted to bring renegotiate agreements with China too uh, and to consolidate other links. So it's worth noting that today uh, four of the ten main destinations of Argentina's exports are in Asia with China at the top, followed by Vietnam, India and Indonesia. And in general, this region is emerging in in comparison to what trade with, with the rest of Latin America represents for, for the country. I will uh, include a footnote here. Um, there might be a lot of debate uh, down the road because these partnerships also represent a source of concern. Uh, there is some trade deficit, 
but more important, there is the specialization on exporting commodities that has set or has preserved Argentina in that path of providing commodities. Uh, and with uh, Asia, this is very clear, it's a clear model. And there you, we have more continuity with, the, with what the previous government did <coughs> rather than change. Um, that is an issue for development, and, and then it might have to be addressed at some point. In other regions of the world, yes, we still see significant change, especially uh, regarding Iran and the Middle East. There's, um, there's significant change, but there's also the, the controversies around these relations, um, because it's, it goes beyond, beyond trade. Uh, these are political issues. Uh, an agreement with Iran, as you know, was signed during the Kishner administration, um, was declared unconstitutional by the judicial power, and Macri implicitly endorsed that decision, at least it decided not to veto that decision, and then uh, that is a sign uh, about uh, his, his stance on, on that issue. You may remember also that we had a significant um, scandal uh, since the, the previous government was accused of, of negotiating <coughs> this um, pact with uh, Iran, with, with, the, with a country that has been linked to terrorist attacks uh, to Israeli institutions in the 90s. Um, and the judge that was uh, ready to, uh, to take this forward uh, was a martyr or well, the case is still open, but it was reopened last year. It was reinvestigated. The suspicion of the mother is still there and uh, involves um, high officials in the previous administration. So whatever the government might do in this front will be very significant for some uh, important groups and to uh, send the sign out uh, to to the rest of the world where it stands or not. Third, there's the issue of regional integration. Um, as I said, uh, Macri was in favor of reviving Mercosur, but here the mm, most controversial uh, topic has been Venezuela, of course. Um, the problems in Brazil gave uh, Macri an opportunity to, to reposition the country in, in the bloc. Um, but at the same time, uh, the, the approach to the problems in Venezuela uh, has received a lot of uh, criticism. Macri was, since the very beginning, um, very strong in, in requesting the liberation of prisoners, uh, in denouncing the violation of human rights. He was in favor of not allowing Venezuela to take over the presidency of Mercosur uh, last year when it was its turn, and also of suspending Venezuela from the bloc and even applying the democratic clause. Um, he was more prone to action than rhetoric in this case. From what we know in this short period, uh, the agreement within um, the bureaucracy was not uh, complete, I would say. And I doubt about using the word coalition, as, as Ezekiel showed, we don't know uh, how the coalition works. But this is more a disagreement between presidency and uh, foreign affairs. Uh, 
Macri was was more in, in favor of action. The, mm, the former minister was more, um, uh, how do you say, uh, had a more lukewarm approach to um, denouncing Venezuela. Some people have speculated that the former minister did that uh, because she was in the, was in a. Um, a position in, in, the, in the UN. She was uh, nominating um, herself for, for that and it was in, in the framework of seeking consensus she did not confront on that issue of Venezuela. Uh, that might have been the, mm, the reason. I don't have the, the evidence. But the fact is that there was some dissent within the, the cabinet. Um, uh, and Argentina was uh, charged with, be, with having an intermediate position there, not totally in favor or, or against of condemning the, the regime of, of Maduro. Um, fi finally, as you know, uh, Venezuela was suspended, uh, and, <coughs> and all countries like, uh, within Mercosur agree on that. Um, fourth, I have to say something about the relationship with the UK because here we, we get all these questions. <laughs> so, uh, and there is change too, if, for the record, if you want. Um, the, the main one would be in, in the definition of the relationship. Um, this government proposed that the issue of, this, of sovereignty over uh, Malvinas Falklands is just a small part of the relationship. It redefined it as around 20% of the relationship and proposed let's focus on the other, larger part of the relationship where we have a lot of issues to develop a common, mutually beneficial agenda. So that is a definition. Um, so, Macri, of course, uh, reiterated uh, Argentine, uh, Argentina's claims on, on sovereignty, um, but this refocus on other aspects of the relationship received criticism too. Um, there was a joint declaration agreed last year um, between the two governments and also there the criticism is that little progress have, has been made. Um, the, there were three main goals and only <coughs> one has been achieved by today, perhaps it's too early. But um, there has been progress in clarifying the identity of Argentine soldiers who, who died during the war. That that work done by the Red Cross was was done. The other two goals are still pending and could bring some other news. Uh, they refer to uh, resuming flights between the continent and the islands, and and also to stop uh, sanctions to economic activities in the in the islands. But the approach is to construct empathy. I'm using the terms the government is using here. Um, and even the British ambassador used that phrase. Um, so there is a, a, an open there for uh, news in the next two years. Finally, how much change has happened uh, in the way foreign policy is managed? This is probably my bias because for those who study this, we, we want to see how policy making works. And for me, it would be a, a sign of significant change if, if we were identifying certain things. But I mentioned 
macro several times. I didn't say the government on purpose because one of the main threats that we, we know characterize the Argentine policy uh, is the concentration in, in, the, in the hands of the president of, of key decisions, the personalization, if you want, of, of foreign policy. In, it was very clear in past administrations. Uh, the overwhelming role of the executive on, on policy making. And uh, this, uh, this speculation that I mentioned about uh, the former minister, <coughs> Susana Marcora, in, and also the speculation went also to the point of uh, her resignation, uh, indicates that there is an attempt to recover that power. Macri set the tone with his state visits uh, on, again, on continuity in that, in that path. Uh, state visits, the ones that he fed to other countries, the, the several visits he received from the main leaders of the world were always managed at that level and through this personal intersubject subjective uh, relations. Relations work at that level of presidential diplomacy, and most of the changes I, I mentioned had to do with his personal involvement. The dissent with Marcora has been read as something that he did not welcome, and um, and probably would not welcome in the future because when the new uh, minister um, took over uh, a few months ago. Um, the words were, we are betting on trust and continuity. Trust, uh, most of us read it as within the administration, within the different offices, in <coughs> inter-bureaucratic politics we're talking here. And uh, continuity in the sense of going towards the same approach as we define it with the, the proposal that we define it. So, <coughs> Apparently, if I had to use this preliminary assessment or partial information that we have, then in that respect, on how we manage the process, we don't see a radical change. Uh, maybe some others might question this about how Macri plays politics, in, in fact, how different he is from traditional politics or not. But the challenge is, um, is like a it was mentioned in, in similar to, to what we see in domestic politics, is the challenge to deliver in the next two years, is, is whether this proposal for changes, this uh, diversification of relations with the rest of the world is coming back to the world, is, uh, is going to translate it really into, for instance, investments or, um, or better uh, trade uh, relations or not. Um, we hear something that we, we just learned. Um, the, the opponent now seems to disappear. And we are reading change as a contrast with that opponent. Op opponent. Uh, and if uh, Peronism or the previous administration cannot represent that any longer, then delivery becomes much more important in the next two years. There's no one else to blame for what's going on.
to all my colleagues for setting out so various things that I want to come back to a little bit. Um, I'll sort of talk about the implications of the electoral results with respect to the 2019 presidential elections. Now, obviously, as we all know, a week is a long time in politics, so two years is a really long time in politics. Um, in Argentina, two years is a really, really, really long time in politics. So I, I'm not going to commit myself to calling the election result for 2019 yet. Um, what I think is clear, obviously, is that the election result allows Macri to focus on his re-election ambitions, which we all know that he has. Um, certainly, for the moment, he looks like the man to beat. Uh, that's not necessarily a good position to be in this far out, but um, it can be. Um, I think that will depend a lot on um, how successful he is in the next two years and uh, how, um, how effectively he can uh, bring the moderate Baronists to bear, uh, who possibly have more to gain from him than he has to gain from them. Um, <coughs> just going back to a couple of points that Lesek Yin made, um, I mean, obviously, technically, the Baronists controlled two-thirds of Congress before, but they weren't really a party before this, because you already had the Frente para la Victoria and the others who were quite badly split. So from that point of view, I think the Peronist Party had a terrible election, but they came out of this slightly more unified and slightly more coherent than they were before, because I think it's fairly clear that um, probably Christina Kirchner and uh, what's now Milasio and I have left the party definitively. So it's a little bit easier for them to put together, again, something that looks looks like a coherent party than it was before. And I think the fact that she's been defeated, not by a huge margin, obviously, but the fact that she was defeated for the first time in her political life is a benefit to the parents because she's been she's been an issue for the party now for some time and she's now been slightly removed and slightly deflated. Now I'm not sure that that works 100% to Macri's benefit. Macri has benefited enormously from this polarization that we've seen. And uh, to a large extent, that was responsible for his winning the election in 2015. And I think to a large extent, it's responsible for Cardiamo's <coughs> result now. I think people, a great many people, are very tired of the, the Kirchnerist approach, which is very strident and very polarizing. And I think there's a willingness to give him the benefit of the doubt a little bit. But if that is removed even to a certain degree, it makes it a little bit harder for him going forward to, to blame lack of results on opposition from, from the Kirchneristas. So um, he is going to need to show some results, I think. I think it's also important to bear in mind thinking about the presidential elections that Cambiemos won 40.6% of, of the national vote on Sunday, which is a very good result, but it means that 59.4% did not vote for them. So that is a considerable block of votes that needs to be taken into consideration. And um, I think Macri, I have to say that Macri has been underestimated by a lot of people, but he could risk being overestimated now by, by himself and by his supporters, and that could work very much to his disadvantage going forward. Um, so as I say, I think 
he has he's had a fairly muted first two years, and a lot of that has had to do with the, the limits imposed on him by the options that he inherited from the Kirchner government. He inherited a huge fiscal deficit, which he initially promised to reduce rapidly and then had to row back on that because, um, as I say, Kiel said, he has had to go to a more gradual approach because the social impact of a massive austerity program would have been catastrophic and he wouldn't have survived it politically. Um, he has not been very successful in attracting the kind of foreign investment that he expected, and he is relying very heavily on debt issues to cover the fiscal deficit, and there is a growing concern that uh, the, fiscal, the debt burden is getting very, very high again, and if, um, if things don't turn out as well as he expects in this sort of typically optimistic way, then um, that is a problem going forward. Possibly the election result may remove some obstacles to foreign investment in the sense that I think for a long time people have adopted the wait and see approach to see is Christina coming back, what is going to happen with the midterm elections, that looks fairly unlikely at this point. But it's not the only point that he has to address. There are serious issues of competitiveness, there are serious issues of why do I want to invest in Argentina when there are a lot of assets that are competitively priced elsewhere? What are you telling me that makes Argentina a better place to put my money than somewhere else? And I think they've not been terrifically successful at that. So in the next couple of years, I think he may have less leeway with voters if he doesn't start showing more results on the economic side. And I think, as Anna said, there are, there are other things that could bring big benefits but are also a bit risky. The G20, the WHO, I mean, all of these things, if they go well, it's very positive. If they go badly, it really is not. Um, so um, I don't think we know yet how they're going to go. Um, he is trying to seize the initiative now. He's promised to convene a Guerra Nacional, which many of us recall from the 1970s. It's not the happiest turn of phrase, but um, he is trying to convene a broad spectrum of uh, political parties, trade unions, governors, members of Congress to discuss reforms, um, some of which are not going to go over terrifically well. I think inevitably in Argentina tax reform, labor reform all becomes highly um, yeah, highly controversial. Pension reform everywhere becomes highly controversial. What I think he has to support this at the moment because he still he has a much larger representation in Congress than he did before but he doesn't have anything like a majority in either house. <coughs> By definition, the Kirchneristas are not going to support him, they are going to be the opposition. So what he has to negotiate with to get a majority is what's left of the, of the Peronist party. Um, the Peronist governors in particular, I think, have a lot of very good reasons to negotiate with him. Number one, because they're always looking forward to the possibility of regaining the presidency and they're not particularly keen on taking over a tremendous economic crisis. And number two, because he needs their support and they can um, they can negotiate quite heavily for that support. Uh, one of the main things I think that is going to be reopened now is the, um, is the revenue sharing agreement, which is really, um, it's really skewed to a few provinces and it's, the renegotiation has been pushed down the road many, many times. 
Um, this is probably a good opportunity for them to come back to this because they are they have really um, they have a really strong hand to play. I think. Um, similarly, I think Madrid is expected to announce plans for a 25 billion dollar infrastructure program in the next few days. Uh, this again is going to depend a lot on public-private partnerships and on foreign <coughs> investment and how readily that can be attracted is a different matter. Um, he was very critical when he was in the opposition of the um, of the Kirchner's close relations with China and the, the bringing of Chinese investment and lending, but he has increasingly found that that is a source of lending that he starts. So, yeah, again, all of these things have their, have their risks and opportunities, I think. Um, now, in terms of possible other contenders for the presidency two years down the line, I think you never know entirely in Argentina, but I think it is fair to say that Cristina Kirchner is not going to return to the presidency. Um, she, she has made a very strong, well, she's made her career on um, doubling the wager and uh, winning at all costs, and it's not easy to forgive and forget a loss that, that she's just suffered. She is promising to be the leader of the opposition in Congress. This may very well work against her because um, it will be outside any national unity accord that the government goes for, and indeed I think the vote suggests that um, you know, a, a lot of opposition leaders can justify getting involved in a national unity court on the grounds that their voters clearly support Gambianos and clearly support this approach. Um, but the premise, obviously, I have, um, there is some good news for them in the sense that Christina is somewhat sidelined, but uh, they are really going to struggle, I think, to find a new leadership in the immediate future. They don't have any very strong presidential contenders, I think, because their clearest contender up to now was the governor of Santa Juan Manuel Ordué, who has been quite public about his presidential ambitions for some time. Uh, he's in his third term as governor of Salta, and his party lost quite badly to Cambiemos in the elections now. So he's, he's been severely undermined by this. He's already recognized this himself. Uh, he's already speaking of how they need to reunite and modernize the Baranis party under different leadership. It's pretty clear who he wants that leadership to be. Um, but I think he looks, uh, you know, he, he has been seen as the probable candidate for some time and now he's been very good at raising his profile internationally. And he's going to be an ally of Macri, I think, in, in Congress because um, they have a certain amount in common politically and they certainly have a, a common interest in, um, in keeping the economy on track. How will Dubai and indeed some of the other foreigners who are left how they can differentiate themselves from Macri in two years' time is a different matter, and I'm not, I'm not sure how well they can. Uh, if he is looking successful in two years, then I think he would be hard to defeat by, by a parent's candidate who looks like sort of a similar version of the same thing. Uh, finally, I think the other thing that, um, that we need to bear in mind is that if... Um, if uh, Macri's belief in investor enthusiasm does exceed the reality, and um, so the improvements in living conditions don't start to be felt pretty soon, and I think, I mean, 
principally what people in Buenos Aires always refer to as the interior. Um, a lot of things look better in the city of Buenos Aires than they did, but in, a, in much of the rest of the provinces, things look pretty grim. And if people don't start feeling that things are getting better, then you know, I think uh, he may have a short, um, he may have a slightly short lead time to to resolve that. So Cambiemos does have at least one other very popular figure, which is Maria Eugenia Vidal, the governor of Buenos Aires province, who I'd say on balance is probably more personally popular than Macri. I don't think she would challenge him for the nomination in 2019, but um, she's certainly seen as presidenciable. I think she would be seen as a strong candidate if he isn't looking so strong. And if he does look like winning a second term, she will look like somebody that they will hope to have to extend their run in um, in office beyond 2023. Uh, the only uh, the only other point I'd make there is that if you can't hold it together, as Ezekiel pointed out, the radicals have been in a number of coalitions which they have not sustained very well. And in particular, you have Elisa Carriolis in Buenos Aires who just won the election with over 50% of votes. So she's in a very strong position. It would not be the first time that she had split with her allies in order to stand as a presidential candidate. So she also is someone else that he may need to look out for in two years. So I, uh, his, um, as of today, his future looks very promising, but there are a great many things that could happen between here and, and October 2019. Thank you.